Hi, I'm Jamie Poisson, and I host CBC's daily news podcast, Front Burner. Every weekday, we set out to have a conversation about the biggest Canadian and global issues that you want to know more about, from politics to culture to online stuff. We spend a lot of time on the show thinking about the best ways to have those conversations and searching for the smartest people to have them with. That's it. That's the cell. I hope you'll tune in. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Ideas. I'm Nala Ayed. To be blunt, the business model for newspapers in Canada is badly broken. It's 2017. The late John Hondrick, former longtime publisher of Canada's largest newspaper, is kicking off a debate. He's arguing that the government must act to save journalism. In my view, the evidence is overwhelming that newspapers play a critical role in our democracy. The Canadian federal government did fund a media bailout in 2019, but it was not intended to be permanent. The media landscape today is even more fractured. Newspapers appear to be on their way to extinction. And a new business model for how the modern version will stay afloat is still elusive. Today, over 80% of our digital ad dollars go to tech companies due to the monopolies they have over our audiences. Jordan Bitov may be late to the newspaper ownership game, but he's now sole owner and publisher of the Toronto Star. Still, the challenge now is that having deep pockets alone is no guarantee against failure. It would be a very sad day for Canada. I think that it would be a blow to society for democracy. The Toronto Star is too important to fail. From the Carlton Dominion Chalmers Centre in Ottawa, what was once a church, here's Bitov delivering the 2023 Carlton University Journalism School's annual Kesterton Lecture. I look at this incredible room, and I think it is a, a wonderful metaphor for what we're trying to do at Torstar. This was a place that was used one day a week uh, that had a limited uh, amount of use and uh, audience, and now Carlton has taken it over, and events are running here, uh, and there's a resurrection here. And that's really what we're trying to do at Torstar. So we're here today because... We posed the question, imagine a world without journalism. A few years ago, that might have sounded melodramatic, but there are real alarm bells now, and we better be paying attention. First of all, let me say I'm not a journalist. The closest I ever came to it is I was a newspaper uh, boy when I, at a very young age, and I had a very large route. But it was at that point that I fell in love with print. And it was a Toronto Star route. It morphed into a globe in Toronto. Uh, I was 12 to 16 years of age that I had, and it helped pay for a lot of things in my life. And I, but I learned to fall in love with print at that point in time. I'm a father. I have four young children. And I'm a fan of our country and our province. And I'm a passionate believer in journalism and its power to inform, champion, and challenge us for a better society. 
So when I, learned, when I learned the star was struggling a few years back, I reached out to the late John Hondrick, who was the chair, and with a proposal that I would buy the star. And I was honored, and I, quite frankly, I was a little surprised that he, that he met with me, and we had a wonderful discussion about media, and he gave me a book at that point in time, Humanity Above All, and I took it home that night, and I have to tell you that the impact that it had on me and my life, I get emotional talking about it, it was quite remarkable. It talked about 110 years of what the Toronto Star had accomplished. At that time, I thought the Star's challenge and the challenge of the other Pator Star publication was its digital transformation, an area we've really made incredible strides on over the past two and a half years. <clears throat> but the big issue wasn't lagging tech, it was big tech and the dramatic shift of ad dollars from content publishers to content providers such as Google, Meta, and Twitter. Today, over 80% of our digital ad dollars go to tech companies due to the monopolies they have over our audiences. Money that's not only leaving our country, but also has implications on Canadian media, specifically in our newsrooms. And that's the challenge. The advertising revenue that once funded our newsrooms has been moved, ironically, to companies that use our content for their benefit. Oh, and did I mention, those companies don't want to pay us for it? The result is that we are seeing local news disappear by increments. Disappear substantially enough that a group started mapping losses. The news poverty map tracks 361 news outlets closed across Canada since 2008. The Canadian Media Directors Council tracks the number even higher. 448 news outlets closed in 323 communities. 323 communities do not have news outlets. 53 media outlets shuttered in the last two years alone. Over 3,000 editorial and non-editorial jobs lost since 2020. That's only three years. And more if we count recent layoffs. What it means is that we have a significant gap in local information and accountability. This happens across the country. Not just the smaller markets, but major cities are seeing hits too. And let's use Ottawa as the example. Six years ago, there was a closure of nine community newspapers in the region. The Ottawa Citizen is down from hundreds of reporters a few years ago to just 25 today. And the recent losses at Chorus laid a direct hit on global news here, quite notably by including award-winning journalist Rachel Gilmore in his cuts. Ottawa is not a news desert. But what's happening here is a clarion call. We should be concerned when a market of this size and in our nation's capital risks losing local context, fewer reporters means fewer stories and tighter coverage. The empty seats designated for reporters at City Hall, in Parliament and local courts are not going to be filled by message boards and isolated interest groups. Fact-checked, investigated, accountable truths, the stories that inform civil discourse 
how we vote, what is happening in schools, hospitals, in the offices of influence, and on our streets, this comes from journalists, from real people, putting a ton of effort into keeping citizens informed. Issues I know you're actively involved in addressing, EDI, climate change, supporting Canadian business and communities. So much of the insight and awareness that informs your work is a result of journalists digging in on these issues. I'm going to use the star as a proxy for imagining a world without journalism. If we didn't have journalism, would Torontonians have enough insight to cast their ballot in the next civic election, and probably one of the most important elections that our city is facing, or enough information to even care about voting. Voter turnout in the last election was abysmal. Would citizens be aware of how often police breach Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms and what the implications are for our justice system? Would the parents of Nathaniel McLennan still be suspects in their toddler's death? And would the woman now charged with manslaughter be free? Without trusted, accountable journalism, how are we going to counter the misinformation and disinformation that has come to dominate discussion and impact our society and public discourse? When Joe Rogan gives a massive platform to fact deniers and conspiracy theorists, is that the kind of world we want? When George Santos finds a seat in the United States government because there are not enough news outlets to pick up on questions raised by a small community newspaper? When Google and Meta want to block news from trusted sources to avoid paying for it under the new Bill C-18? These are very scary things to consider in terms of our ability to access trusted sources of information. The fact is, real journalism costs money. Technology is not going to break a story or uncover a hidden truth or give local context on a national situation. Google, Meta, ChatGPT, all tech companies that depend on a source of origin for content, it is based on someone who does the work. Our newsrooms are that source, the people who are doing the work. To underscore some of that work, Let's take a closer look at the series on charter breaches. Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms has been in place for over 40 years. The stars Rachel Mendelson and Steve Buist of the Hamilton Spectator set out to see how often police violated people's charter of rights and what's being done about it. They used legal databases to scour thousands of criminal cases, isolating breaches that were serious enough to threaten public confidence in our justice system. The team uncovered 600 serious charter breaches cases where judges had to exclude crucial evidence from the trial, drop charges, or throw out cases altogether because of things like unjustified vehicle stops, violent arrests, and illegal searches. A quarter of the cases were identified with the assistance of Western's University Law and their hidden racial profiling project. They worked with their reporters and shared their case law. As a result of the investigative series, police forces are making efforts to improve accountability and transparency. Toronto police acknowledge they were unaware of more than 90 cases that, were, that the journalists uncovered and launched an internal review. Rachel, Steve, our designers and editors were awarded the prestigious Sidney Hillman Canadian Prize for Excellence in Journalism in Service of the Common Good. In fact, they're collecting that prize this very week. Now, 
Knowing what we're up against, what are Canadian media doing to keep local news from disappearing? At Torstar, we're putting a keen focus on the pillars that matter. Local news, groundbreaking investigations, and digital growth. We've improved, and we continue to improve, our digital platforms and products, so our readers have a better experience and our ad performance is more compelling for advertisers. We brought back the STARS Paid Intern Program. It was cancelled four years ago. We brought it back, and today, over 14 of those students that came into that program are now full-time journalists. And what is good about that is we're bringing diversity into our newsroom. We're focused on giving readers great local coverage and insightful journalism. By striving for world-class content, we grow our base of engaged readers, build our data sets, and ultimately help marketers reach people they're looking for the way they want to. Now, I, earlier I touched on shared values. I know you are champions for a better way. Your passion to get to the truth and your, your presence here tells me that. And most companies in Canada are championing, are trying to champion a better Canada too. Yet there is a major piece missing. Where is the support for local media? When governments and businesses espouse to support communities, why is lo local news not a part of it? When climate change, health, reconciliation, equity, diversity, and inclusion are priorities, how can the Canadian media be overlooked? People have never had more options and interest in news, yet the revenue to support trusted outlets has never been lower. And this needs to change. Over the past few years, advertising support for local news has cratered. And you see the same trajectory for just about every single news outlet in this country. Now, I won't name names, but as, as an example, one of Canada's leading institutions whose values are 100% aligned with our company spent $50 million in advertising last year. And what did they spend with us? Less than $7,000, or 0.1013%. And this isn't an isolated uh, example. There are dozens of big companies and hundreds of smaller businesses that just don't invest in Canadian media at all. And I'm not being dramatic here. This is a fact. The numbers speak for themselves. And this impact on newsroom is devastating. Even when Canadian media outlets are included on advertising plan, as they should be when it comes to the federal government, very little of the money is going to local news. One would think the federal government, with the support of Bill C-18 and other pieces of legislation, would put their advertising dollars where their mouth is. In their last report, they claimed an advertising spend of just over $140 million to reach Canadians on topics like COVID, reconciliation, equality, climate change, affordability, health care, and many other important issues. Factoring in digital and print for the star, are six other dailies and 70 community news platforms. The government of Canada invested 0.27%, less than $400,000 on a $140 million budget. Now you can tell me that voters and citizens aren't reading our content, but I know they are. And I see the page views every day. So this brings me to my last point. What can you do? You can embrace an ethical media supply chain. Now, I'm borrowing a phrase from a colleague. An ethical media supply chain supports Canadian-owned and operated and trusted news. 
An ethical media supply chain prioritizes keeping money in Canada. It prioritizes media integrity. Every dollar stays in Canada. Every dollar stays here to support and strengthen local journalism. And every click is a human click. It's like a flywheel. Ethical ad investment stays in Canada, funds trusted journalism that attracts readers, supports our shared values, and gives marketers a halo effect from being around compelling local news. At Torstar, I can assure you, each dollar that comes to us goes back to support local journalism, and we are doing all we can as partners to make your click counts. Now, to be clear, this is not a charitable appeal. This is a partnership and a call to action. This is about making a difference together. Now, I know you aren't afraid to ask questions, so find out what organizations you are a part of and the companies that you deal with and how they allocate their advertising dollars and ask them what percentage of their media spend goes to supporting Canadian-owned and operated media. If it's not 20%, it's not good enough. Whether it's Torstar, The Citizen, or CP24, trusted local news delivers the audience they want when we are ready to partner with marketers to deliver. And now the governments need to do their part as well. We appreciate the federal legislation, but it's just not enough to actually grow the media industry in Canada. When I gave the example earlier, Torstar got one quarter of one percentage of the federal government's buy. If that percentage went up to two or even five percent, think what a difference that revenue could make when we put it towards journalism. I know I've talked a lot about ad spend, and here's another key component of our future success, subscriptions, and in particular, digital subscriptions. Digital subscriptions are the driving force today behind the media industry's ability to transform. We have the data that proves people with paid news subscriptions are more engaged in their communities and their work. Go back to your campus, to your office, and ask your friends and instructors if they have a paid subscription to a Canadian news organization, and if not, why? Whatever way you can, question businesses, pay for subscriptions, and have this conversation with your peers and family. Let's embrace an ethical media supply chain and support Canadian media. Now, in summary, trusted media outlets play a critical role in defending democracy and informing our communities, yet we are losing revenue to foreign players. Challenging us to uphold the role, our role, as more job losses and closures are a real threat. We're not backing down, quite the converse. We're facing these challenges by focusing on local news, investigative journalism, and a great digital experience for our readers and partners. We're earning the investment of subscribers and advertisers. And you can absolutely play a part in this. Promote and invest in the ethical media supply. Subscribe to local news. Talk to everyone you know about what's at risk. And when you walk out of this room, what are you going to do about it? If enough of us raise our voices, we can be heard. And that whole what-if scenario, it doesn't have to be a threat imagining the worst. With the right focus, what-if can mean the possibility. So, I want to hear from the room what we can do to protect a free and fair media for our country. What's important to you? Now, I read my speech ten times, and late last night I'm reading again, and I'm thinking, for those of you that are in the field of journalism, I may be sounding a little bit like Debbie Downer here. 
uh, and those that want to go into it. But I can tell you, in just over two years, I've realized the importance of trusted journalism. Our journalists are heroes. They work. The work that they do has an impact on society and democracy. And if you have any doubts about this as a career, I would encourage you to think about this, that the work you do, day in and day out, protects the vulnerable, gives voice to those, voices to those who may not be heard, holds big business and government to account, and keeps our citizens and country informed and involved in the things that matter to all of us. Thank you. Businessman Jordan Bitoff delivering the 2023 Carleton University School of Journalism's Kesterton Lecture in Ottawa. You're listening to Ideas. We're a podcast and a broadcast heard on CBC Radio 1 in Canada, across North America on Sirius XM, in Australia on ABC Radio National, and around the world at cbc.ca slash ideas. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nala Ayed. When faced with the complex moral questions the world tends to throw our way, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. My name is Waleed Ali. And I'm Scott Stevens. We're the hosts of The Minefield, an ABC Australia podcast. And each week we try to navigate the moral complexities of modern life in a way that's unexpected, unpredictable, intellectually serious, but more than a little fun. Along the way, we're joined by a range of philosophers and thinkers who promise to help you see the world and the challenges we face in a different light. You can listen to The Minefield wherever you get your podcasts. If there's anything clear about the future of the newspaper business, it's that there will soon no longer be room for an actual newspaper. Beyond that, according to Toronto Star owner and publisher Jordan Bitoff, its resurrection, that's his word, requires the help of subscribers and government. Not through handouts but an ethical media supply chain that keeps Canadian advertising dollars in the hands of Canadian media outlets. But you have to wonder, is that enough to save private media outlets like the Star? Carleton University School of Journalism invited Bitov to deliver the 2023 Wilfred Kesterton Lecture. Just after his lecture, I sat down with him for an onstage conversation. You've been on, on quite a journey, starting as a paperboy, now the sole owner and publisher of the Toronto Star, and you're talking now about resurrection. I wonder if you could expand a little bit more of your vision of what you think the responsibility of an owner and a publisher is, given that the media landscape is as potholed as it is right now. Great question, and I apologize for being emotional. I, I... Uh, you've probably read about me getting emotional with my team and, and with the organization, but when you see the quality of work that our team and, and other news organizations do day in and day out, and you, you question what happens if those journalists are not around, you become very concerned about society. And as a father of four young children, uh, this is the thing that keeps me awake at night. And I talk a lot about technology and the uh, negativity, um, the, the impact that that's having on our kids, on society. And we hear what's going on with TikTok right now. 
Um, and the, the fact that the company that owns TikTok in China only allows their own kids to go on one hour a day on TikTok, and yet we allow our kids to go on for 14 hours or 20 hours a day. But to answer your question, I, I swallowed the pill very quickly and saw the impact and the power. And what I realized um, going into it as we were doing our due diligence and, and, and understanding was that we were way behind. Um, we, we were having a conversation earlier uh, about the, uh, the tablet program. In 2015, the Star spent $40 million, Tor started to launch a tablet, which they thought was going to be the future of journalism, and it was an abysmal failure. $40 million, 200 jobs, flushed down a year and a half into it. And I think through that, they just, they were afraid of their own shadow. And so as that was going on, there was this sort of, let's burn the furniture, we have to protect uh, print, but what they'd forgotten about was the digital transformation and what the digital transformation was, how you get someone that may be reading your print paper to go online. You don't need to move them all the way to a, a, a mobile phone or to, but there is an e-reader product, there are other products, and it's how you educate, how you engage with other, other audience, what, what technology, podcasts, right? We're going heavy into podcasts now, um, video, um, other things to, enga to engage other audience. And so, saw that as an amazing opportunity. And what I'm proudest, perhaps, of my team is the fact that we're close to 200,000 digital subscribers in just over two years. Right. Um, quite remarkable. And, and yet, um, and I'm told, we are the best performing print organization in North America. Why? Because we made a conscious decision uh, to protect print. I'm a print guy. Um, and it's still a very lucrative part of the business. So let me, so let me yep. ask you this to interrupt you there, but I noticed one thing in your speech is that the only time you, uh, in relation to the Toronto Star, that you said the word newspaper was near the beginning when you talked about being a, a paper boy. Was that deliberate? Yeah, because we're, I'm trying to, we are trying to change the perception. I, I talk to the team a lot that, We've been doing something that's been around for 100 years and we're doing it the same way. We have to produce a business section. We have to produce a sports section. And what we're seeing is uh, the world is passing us by and there are other ways to have engagement through that. Um, I, I, love, I love print. I read it every day. I'm loyal. Uh, I have been for decades. But what I'm trying to help have our organization, and we just moved to our new offices, uh, at 8 Spadina, which is Netflix is there, all the tech companies are there, is for people to understand that we're, we're evolving into a technology company. We just closed down our printing presses. We, or we, we didn't close them down. We sold those assets off to Transcon, who are the largest print producer in the world. Why? Because that, we shouldn't be. We should be focusing on journalism, mm -hmm. producing great journalism. We don't need to be printing newspapers, and then how do we keep that business going 24-7? And so very focused on on digital and on technology, but not forgetting the print reader and the importance of that. Can you envision a day when, I'm sure you can actually, can you imagine how close it might be that the business model will not include print? Yeah, it, there, there have been reports that uh, uh, in the US through the New York Times and others that basically say within 15 years we won't have print. But I don't, I don't agree with that because I spent a lot of time talking, I mentioned to you before, talking to A.G. Salzberger at the New York Times, Marty Barron at the Washington Post about it. What we the Toronto Star was a million and a half, almost two million subscribers at one point in time. 
those things are never going to come back. So what we need to do is understand that we own a niche in the marketplace. We are a progressive publication, and we are the voice of a progressive group in the country, and we need to deliver a great product to that. And so maybe we're not going to have a million half, maybe we're going to have 300,000, and, and maybe those people will pay a little bit more of a premium to have access to that quality of journalism. Just on that point, actually, it's a question that's come up in conversations. The Toronto Star is known generally to be a center, center-left, progressive voice. You have contributed to conservative politicians in the past. What does a paper look like, the Toronto Star, in the, the Jordan Bittoff yeah, era? Yeah, it's a great question, I'm, and I, I'm almost appreciative that you're asking it because um, it's one of the issues that I have with technology and Twitter and Facebook and all these things where people in, in anonymously post something about my donations or whatever. I have, I have uh, donated to, I, I donate to the person, okay, and, and, um, and not necessarily to a party. And I have, uh, and I'm proud of that. Uh, I've been loyal to um, great candidates all over the place. And so um, I would be a fool from the business point of view, but also when I talk about the, uh, about Canada, to move the paper away from where its base is. We own left of center, we're a progressive news, and we're the only paper of that kind in Canada. And so it would be foolish for me to move out of that segment. But I, I believe we speak for the bulk of Canadians. Canadians are progressive, I believe. And I think they are center, left of center. Maybe you, you got others that are, 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 are a little bit right, that are more fiscally uh, you know, conservative or whatever, but I do think the star speaks to the bulk of Canadians and we will stay in that lane. As you point out, the problem with going more fully digital, you know, is that you're trading the print dollars that used to exist for digital pennies, effectively. And you make a spirited pitch for encouraging institutions and governments to pay more of those advertising dollars locally and to invest locally. Uh, you're calling for digital subscriptions, all those things. But let's be clear, it, it appears or it feels like a patchwork approach uh, to you know, a problem that is plaguing the entire industry. And so you know, the struggle to find a sustainable model for, for funding local journalism. So what's your best guess when you look down the road What's your best guess at what that model will look like when this business is done transitioning? Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's another great question. And um, I can tell you one amazing fact that you're, you're I'm not going to blow anyone's mind with it, but great journalism sells. And I think that, as I talked about, with our focus on, on better journalism, on hiring we're one of the few news organizations that's been hiring. You know, and I'll use the example of Althea Raj here in Ottawa. Althea, uh, when, she, when Huffington Post closed down, uh, I reached out to my team and I said, I'd love to get her on, on our team. And they said, yeah, we just don't have the money. Uh, we're, we're, we're not sure that we can make it happen. And the beauty of today is I can have them look at data. And we can look at it, Chantal Hebert, um, Susan Delcor, others here in the Ottawa Bureau and see what kind of numbers they generate. And I said to the team, if she can generate half of what Chantel can, then she's a winner. But what is amazing about Althea is that she was going into podcasts at the time. And that was a huge opportunity. We weren't doing any podcasts at the time. And now we have, with Althea, the number one podcast 
political podcasts in the country. Kevin Donovan has the number one podcast in Canada um, with Death in a Small Town, the Nathaniel McLennan story. And, and so my, my point on it is great journalism sells. We know it. I, I know when a, a, a great piece is written or any piece is written, how many clicks, how many subscriptions were sold, how many eyeballs were on that page, and that makes it a heck of a lot easier as opposed to the old days when they were guessing or they were running tons of data and they didn't really understand it. So I actually think there is an unfair advantage, not an unfair advantage, I think we have an advantage today, and it's just what we have to get better at is using data to understand our audiences and, and what I explain to my team all the time is if we can get bigger audiences, think about when we write that story on diversity or on the LGBTQT community or on climate change that not, not many people, but we've got a big audience over here and we've put them in the right place and we, we're going to get more eyeballs on that story. We're going to bring more credibility to that story. So leveraging the content is a very important part of it. And I think that there was this, this mindset that we just, you know, this is the way we do it and we can't change. We do a wheel section. So they, I get there and everyone says, we have to do a wheel section. And we relaunched the wheel section, which was our, which, uh, was our money maker. And it was an abysmal failure. Why? Because people can get better content online now on reviews of cars and other things. And so we need to shift the thinking and we need to look at where the audiences are and how we engage with them. Do you think that's still possible given how splintered and kind of disrupted the media landscape is? That even with good journalism, there are outlets out there that are struggling to, uh, to get eyeballs enough to be able to attract advertisers. Is this still possible? I, I, I do think yeah. so. And I think that the, the, the biggest problem in our industry has been that it was a war amongst all the news outlets, that it was a battle for, for, for readers, eyeballs, whatever. And what I've been asking my colleagues at The Post, at The Globe, and every other news agency is, if we work together, uh, we can accomplish great things. And that means working, we can maybe even share content. We can, we can work, we can put a stronger message out. We can come to Ottawa and talk uh, to the parliamentarians about the issues and things like that. We can tackle one of the biggest issues right now is online harm mm -hmm. and the attacks on our journalists. Yeah. And if we're united in that, we can do things. But if it's me going out alone, I gotta do a thousand speeches like this and hope that somebody in this room or a group of people in this room are gonna go out and knock on their MP's door and, and start, uh, you know, raising some hell about it. Just on that point, as you say, it's a very different environment now um, than it was when you and I were delivering newspapers when we were kids. So the reality is that if you're part of the MSM, as it's called in some circles, um, it's not to be trusted. The mainstream media is not to be trusted. And in fact, even viewed as an enemy. How do you go beyond preaching to the converted and into audiences that see papers like yours and other media like ours as the enemy. It, that, that, to me, that is, um, that's a beach ball you've just thrown me because, uh, and I say it respectfully, I don't mean, being a neophyte to the industry and not really understanding it, and what I realized is uh, the Toronto Star has been around for 130 years. There's a trust with the readers. Um, when one journalist writes a piece, um, the editor, the managing editors, the ed uh, chief editor, um, the publisher, the entire organization's name is on that. You think about it. Like, that's, that's one piece that's written, 
um, and, and the importance of getting it right in that one piece. And so what I ask our team is, let's make sure that we're fact-checking. Let's make sure that we're being um, balanced in our, in our reporting. Let's make sure that we're being very independent in, on how, how we do things and bring that sort of approach to everything that they do. We have a public trust editor. There's only one other news organization in Canada that has a public trust. He's actually Bruce Camp, who's now our opinion editor. But that was Bruce's job. He was our ombudsman who had to deal with ensuring that the integrity of our organization and any and if you had an issue, you you wrote and and you it was dealt with. Bruce and his team would essentially, if we had to uh, write a retraction. We would, and we still do. But that's well and good for the people who read you. What about those who don't and consider press, the mainstream press, as the problem? Yeah, I, I, I think we could spend two hours, and I could talk about social media, and, uh, and, I, and I really think back to, you know, C-18, C-11, all these. They're very important. Why are they important? Because um, when I was a kid, we had the CRTC, and like it or hate it, the CRTC served a very important role in this country. It protected our culture identity and it protected broadcasters, radio, TV, whatever, on content. And our airwaves were not filled with American. And now what we see, because we have a completely unregulated internet, is we have full infiltration through Facebook, Google, and anything else, no one regulating it. And so when two cops are shot in Barrie or in Edmonton, or a convoy happens here in Ottawa. Is that Canadian? That's not Canadian. That is Fox News and other news organizations in the States and people online posting stuff that is creating that fear, creating those issues. And I believe that we need to regulate it for our sake and for our kids' sake. So on that issue of what the government can do, you lobbied for Bill C-18, uh, which would force big tech companies to share the wealth that they, uh, a great amount of wealth that they get from linking to content to um, news media. Meta has threatened to block access to content if this bill goes through. Then what? What happens? Yeah, well, uh, they tried to do that in Australia and they failed and there was a big pushback. And I'm hoping our friends here in Ottawa use their force and might to get them to play fair. And I'm not asking, and we're not as an industry, uh, asking for anything that's unreasonable. They take 80% of our revenue. They take our stories and they publish them and they, and they sell advertising on the back. How's that fair? How's that fair that they can take your work, my work, anyone who's writing an article, and it's being used to sell advertising and we get zero from it. So. My, my ask in all this is, uh, and, and we've been very clear with Google and Facebook, talking about Apple News, is help us. Help us. Money's great, but what I need your help is you've got organize, global organizations and, and developers, and you have the ability to disseminate. Help us. I'm not asking for a handout. I'm help, asking you to invest in our organization to help us get better so that we can compete. You said also in your speech that you don't want to be seen as a charity. You're not looking yeah. for charity. But I want to try this with you. A few days ago, a local, another local paper in the States failed. It was in, in Utah. It's called the Iron County Today in Cedar City. 
And that led the community to actually come together and raise money to try to bring it back to, and it is in fact operating again. I recognize the irony of asking this question to someone who's a businessman, but perhaps kind of appealing to your philanthropic side. If journalism is so integral to democracy and society, why should it be kind of beholden to commercial and, and, and markets? Why can it not be not-for-profit? Well, it's interesting because John, the late John Honderk and I talked a lot about this, and John had initiated a foundation, and the, and the goal really was to um, fund journalism through high-net-worth individuals, through... Uh, foundations donating to it, and so that if climate change was important to an organization, it would fund. And and so we have actually had a tremendously successful program. Uh, we've partnered with uh, our team, Rob Cribb and company, have partnered uh, with U University of Toronto, the Dalai Lana School, um, and we have the Investigative Journalism Bureau. And the work they are doing is incredible. Uh, I, I don't think I was ever so proud as when I walked into our, uh, one of the meeting rooms, Rob asked me to join him, and there were 30 journalism and law students from, from Metropolitan University, um, from U of T, um, our own interns, journalists, and they were collaborating, and they were looking at uh, assisted death and the data around it. And the goal really was, you know, if we can bring enough credibility to the story Think of the impact it can have globally. And, and so we've seen tremendous results with it. We fund, we put money into that, and we work together to collaborate on it. But do you foresee a possibility of the business model being exactly that, a not-for-profit? I, I, I think it's a combination of the two. We, you know, The Guardian is a very uh, interesting, and, and we've looked at it. Um, that's unique to a market and whatever. I don't know that we can that we can recreate. La Presse is, is doing a, a, a good job of it. I, I just think we need to get better at what we do, right? I, I talked about it before. We had businesses we spent umpteen millions on, uh, other, other, all kinds of other, we had car leasing businesses that were, and these were all, a lot of them were money losing businesses. And all I've tried to do right now is cull it. Get rid of anything that's a distraction that takes money out of our coffers and allow us, and what it allows us to do is focus on keeping the star, our other six regional daily newspapers and our community newspapers at stake. That's not to say that some of them aren't gonna falter over time. They are, because communities are changing. The community paper business was built on the back of flyers and local advertising. And, and that local advertising, COVID just did this to it. The flyer business is done. And so those community newspapers are now, a lot of them are struggling. And we're trying to figure out, and I'm trying to be, I'm not trying, I am being very considerate because I know the importance to those communities. When you see, as I did on day one, I'm coming out to Ottawa Valley and, and seeing uh, an elderly woman get out of a taxi to walk up to the newspaper box at our paper there to take the paper out of it and then get back in the taxi to go home. I noted with interest your appreciation of the legacy of, of Jim Travers. And I, having been a, a former foreign correspondent, I'm curious what your plans are in terms of funding a more robust um, plan for foreign coverage by the Toronto Star. It's a tough one because it, 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 they're expensive to create bureaus. I, I won't say that we've dabbled with it, but um, I'll, I'll use the example of Washington. Ed Keenan was in Washington. He was our Washington Bureau 
Trump's in power. Um, everyone wants to read about Trump and how crazy Biden comes into power, and no one's reading those articles, um, sadly. And so uh, we brought Ed back to Toronto. He's now, you know, we're proud of what the work he's doing on, on the city. He's, a, he's a, a great journalist. But Washington, and I've talked to Anne-Marie Owen, our, our editor, about it, will always need to stay close to Washington. Uh, Alan Woods, who was in, in Moscow for us for a number of years, uh, got pushed out, obviously, when, when uh, the Ukraine happened. Uh, was able and still is able to write about it, but isn't on the ground and, a, and able to provide. So I think, to answer your question, um, the opportunity to use freelancers, um, and, and uh, the folks at the Washington Post were really the ones that educated me on the ability to create a, a network of freelancers around the world that you'll call on. Um, and then if there is civil unrest in somewhere, you've got freelancers there that you can fire up, dial down, and then you've got to rely on editorial. And your editors to edit that and make sure that it is consistent and the quality of product is, is a great one. I want to get to audience questions, but I have a couple more important ones I want to ask you before we go there. I'd like to quote you back to yourself. Obviously, real journalism costs money, and it has and continues to be more than ever the Achilles heel of this industry. So the question to you here on this stage is how far will you go in keeping the Toronto Star financially afloat? Another great question, and um, I can tell you this, that in my two and a half years, three years almost of ownership, uh, being the publisher, what I have recognized is that um, good journalism sells. And when you add Christine Dobby, Richard Warnica, Althea Raj, Stephanie Levitz here in Ottawa, they've all been winners for us. And so what we need to do is we just need to get better at how uh, we manage our team, um, have them focus on, on beats and on, on things that are, people want to read about kids, as we talked about, Alan and I were talking about, kids aren't reading papers, and so, and they're not even really even looking at the digital. So how do you engage, engage them? I was just down in, in, in Florida watching my son play baseball, and there was a reporter covering the uh, you know, 17-year-old baseball game and I went over to him. He was writing for the, the, the Palm Beach Post. And I, and I just I inquisitive. And I said, he goes, our eyeballs and the audiences that we're, we have been able to get, it, get because of that have been remarkable. So much that we've actually, we've got three reporters now going to high school games and reporting. And he said, so we're getting younger audiences. We're getting more eyeballs. And we're saying, and so if you go to their website now, investigative journalism, coverage of high school sports. We're, we went from covering high school sports to completely pulling. When the cuts happened, we got completely out of it. And now we're looking at it. And there's also technology that you can use but that pulls data. And we can then have our, our team, our journalists, then be able to compile that and write about it. I, I, one has to admire the optimism with which you speak about <laughs> this business. But the reality speaks of something very different. And so I guess what I'm trying to ask you to put another way yep. is yep. that you are extremely well positioned to, perhaps more than anyone else since Joe Atkinson, to determine the direction of this paper. Will you commit today to you know, doing more than just doing the right yeah, things? No, will, no, you, will you go you know, into your pocket to I save this been, paper? I have been going into my pocket. And uh, you know, it's fair to say I have not 
taken a dime out of this business, a penny out of this business. I've been investing millions into it. And that's not stupidity. These are, are very sound um, business investments that I'm making to be able to support what we need to do. We had a very antiquated uh, publishing platform for our digital. And we were leaving money on the table. We were not engaging uh, enough. Um, the, the quality of the experience, if you've looked at our, our app, was it's improving vastly. But we had to make a decision to go to a new platform. It cost millions to do that. And we've done it, and we're doing it. And, and, and so to answer your question, everyone in this room and, and that's listening is going to be very pleasantly surprised um, with what we do with our publication over the next couple of years. And it's not, th this isn't um, some guy just throwing money at a situation. I've got an incredible team. Neil Oliver, who is our CEO, 38 years uh, in the industry, and he was sort of being put on a backbench, and I asked him to take over as CEO. He's got the love and respect of our organization. He's a newspaper guy through and through. And I've just asked our team to step in, and what I do is I just ask a lot of questions, and I bring, I think, just some very fundamental questions about it, uh, about how. But the, big, you know, the biggest thing that I, I just want to touch on was that whole area of we had all these other distractions, and we were burning millions of dollars, millions, tens of millions, and we're eliminating all that, and it's now all focused on journalism. I know you wanted to end on a positive note. Yes. You said, what if? What if the Toronto Star fails? Uh, it would be uh, a very sad day for Canada. I think that it would be a blow to society, for democracy, to democracy. The Toronto Star is too important to fail. And my pledge, um, I, I talk a about it a lot, um, it's a public trust. I'm someone that's sort of guiding it through a period of time. I don't even, I don't even really think I own it. I think that the, the readers own it, our journalists own it, and I'm just a custodian of it. And so what I am trying to do is just bring sound, fundamental business acumen to running the business. And like I said before, We've been operating in a very antiquated model, and I'm hoping that with the moves that we're making, um, the star um, doesn't just survive, but it thrives. After our discussion, Jordan Bitov took some questions from the audience. Saving the Toronto Star is a noble mission. Um, I'm just wondering, to what degree sports betting is part of the business model, and are you concerned about the social harms related to sports betting? Sports betting was an interesting thing, and, and it is, uh, for us because, I mean, we see how big that has become, and we saw it as an opportunity um, to help fund journalism. We had content that we were creating, um, and we, um, we believe, and we have seen, and it's, it's working, that if we can take that content and put it onto um, other platforms um, that people will pay for it, will we'll utilize it, et cetera, the interesting thing about it, where I really came at it from, we have 130 years of trust with our readers, and we have the opportunity to do it right. And I'll use the example of the cannabis industry, where um, floodgates open, everybody and their, and their brother is opening a cannabis shop, and all these things are going on, and it and it's almost feels like it was unregulated. Um, I, I'm hoping that we can be the gold standard for the sports betting 
um, because we have the ability and we have an, an obligation to our, to our trust that we have with our readers to manage that. And that's mental health, that's, that's um, being responsible about it, et cetera. But there are people on your own staff who raised objections to the use of that kind of uh, sure. revenue to fund the work that you do. How did you address those concerns? Um, the same way I'm, I'm, I'm addressing it right now. It's a big opportunity, and you talk about, you know, we've been doing something the same way for years and years. They were, they started other things. They had contests and other things like that that you could argue were the same, were just a different generation or different time that they did, they were doing the same thing. But to me, the opportunity and, and what I talked to the team about is really that we can be the gold standard for it, that we can be the responsible ones doing it, that as we see something going sideways, the ability to manage it and get the messaging out there so that it is done in a responsible way. I guess when it comes to, like you mentioned subscriptions, but also people are very stingy with their money. Um, and I don't think that a subscription is what they're thinking of when they're first thinking of, especially with inflation around. They're not exactly thinking of a newspaper when they're thinking of like food to buy. So like, I get it that you're trying to like keep your stuff to survive, but what would you do in term, times like this where people don't necessarily have the pennies and dimes, forgive pennies, people don't necessarily I, 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 have I, the dimes and nickels I, to give out? You know, it's, it's a wonderful question. And, um, you know, I, I'm, again, I'll go back to, and I've said it a hundred times, but I'm hoping that uh, people uh, in these tougher times still import, understand the importance of good journalism, of being informed. And so what I'm hoping is that if you really care about your city, if you care about your country, if you care about society, that that dollar a week, whatever it's going, and I'm offering them uh, to people here for, uh, as, as complimentary, but I'm hoping that that is a very small price to pay to be informed, to make a decision and ensure that the economic engine of Canada is protected during the next four years, because it, it is a very difficult situation. And that's not just Toronto. We see it in Vancouver. Yeah. We see it in Edmonton, everywhere. Okay. Jordan Badoff, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Ideas and to Toronto Star owner and publisher Jordan Bitoff. He delivered the 2023 Carleton University Wilfred Kesterton Lecture. Special thanks to Alan Thompson, head of journalism at Carleton University, for making this episode possible. And to Gwen Davey and the technical team at the Carleton Dominion Chalmers Centre for the recording of the event. The audio you heard of the late John Hondrick is from the 2017 Great Canadian Debate held by the Macdonald Laurier Institute. The web producer for Ideas is Lisa Ayuso. Technical production, Danielle Duval. Our senior producer is Nikola Lukšić. The executive producer of Ideas is Greg Kelly, and I'm Nala Ayed. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.